You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlasherSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two of my usual panelists. We have freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello. Do we still count Bruce as a as a regular? Or Bruce. is he missed enough now that he's like you know, only titularly a regular? We will never fire Bruce Garrick. <laughs> His job is secure as a Supreme Court justice. And freelance writer Tom Chick. Uh, I have a question, Troy. Yep. Can I get you? Can I get you a coffee? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, if Bruce is a Supreme Court justice. Are That's we a terrifying thought? Yeah. Are we like like interns in a Senate office, or where, where does that put us? I'm wondering. I think you're an appeals court justice, and I think <laughs> and I think Julian's a, a, a bailiff or a county sheriff or something. I want that job. That's way better. It is way cooler. You yeah. want to be the guy with the gun. Hasn't yeah. history taught us anything? You always want to be the guy with the gun. The guy with the gun. We do miss Bruce. I, I wish he would come back and quit with this whole other whatever business he's got going. I can't imagine it's more important than talking about strategy games. Yeah, Bruce is uh, an integral part of this podcast, so listeners, don't be afraid of missing Bruce. He's still uh, a member of the team, and when his schedule clears up, I'm sure we will have him uh, back on. Uh, today's topic is we're going back to the whole game design issue, something that our listeners uh, tend to be drawn to. And the topic for today is the problem of runaway victories, games where the rich get richer, the strong get stronger. How do you design around it? Should you design around it? And is there any fun in losing? Tom, you were one of the people who chose this topic. Why do you think this is an issue uh, we should be talking about? Well, first of all, I mainly chose it because it is, uh, it's the middle of July, it's, it's early July, so we're in the throes of summer, and I appreciated the irony of us doing snowballing as a topic. That, that was <laughs> my main reason. Ah, I it was wordplay. <laughs> and I, I uh, but I actually do have some thoughts on the subject as well, so that's sort of just gravy there. Uh, let's see, what, what made it come up? I play a lot of RTSs against... I have a weekly little gathering, and we play real-time strategy games a lot. And since we have people of varying degrees of skill, we very often see somebody who's really good playing against somebody who's not very good. And I can't imagine it's any fun for the guy who's not very good to just get completely creamed by the guy who's really good. And it's interesting to me how some games do kind of design around that by uh, trying to prevent snowballing. Uh, by trying to help the poor guy who's not very good. And and also, too, I think of the, the few terrible times that I've gone online to play against strangers, uh, and that's rarely any fun, because a lot of games are more than happy to just let people who are better than you just sort of let, let their victory, let, let their advantage snowball until you're basically buried under an avalanche of, of being beaten. Right. Well, let's get, uh, some, are, let's get some definitional are, parameters here first, uh, and then, we'll, then I'll go to Julian. What do we mean... Uh, by snowballing, how do we distinguish that from you know just a massive skill disparity? Well, it does also. It's worth pointing out that it's very different in something like a shooter, which isn't resource based, where you know the the end of the game, the game is over, and you've lost uh, you know 512 frags to seven. That's one thing because each time you respawn, and in a way, I guess the guy can get better weapons. But it's a, it's very different in something like a real time strategy game, where over the course of the match. You're gathering resources. You're improving your position. You have more units. Uh, 
so that as you lose, you lose worse, and as you win, you win better. And the game reinforces that. So that's right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the classic problem with most territory control games of any kind, right? I mean, that's the problem with Risk, even, which has exactly one resource, which is you get more dudes. Uh, but the, it, it has that problem. And, and to some extent, history has that problem, right? I mean, that's part of the, part of the fun of historical wargaming and historical strategy games is you, you are dealing with those realities, right? And, um, and I think, so I think the, the first question is really, is this necessarily a problem or is this just a feature of a kind of strategy game, which many of us actually really enjoy? Right. Well, I think and, there's like, let's draw a distinction between a real-time strategy game where it's like 20 minutes and, and you're done. 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 20, 25, 30 minutes, and the session's over and you can go back and you can learn stuff. But I'm thinking about many board games where, uh, an early advantage can start snowballing and snowballing and snowballing, and you're stuck there for hours, waiting for your crappy turn to come along, and there's nothing you can do. And that's actually one of, I think, the first ways to get around the problem, Troy, is make the match short enough so that the act of being beaten, you know, somebody's snowballing advantage, isn't long and drawn out. Uh, and I think of Dawn of War 2, for instance. Julian and I, uh, we did not have to get beaten for very long when we played the game against <laughs> you and Bruce. It was over right. within 15 minutes, and rather than us thinking, oh, God, I never want to play that again, it's a short enough experience where, okay, screw you guys, now let's play the real match. Let's go again. Right. Screw you guys, well, I'm going home. Let's, let's, use, let's use two current two current games as an example then, because uh, maybe people who actually listen to this play current games. Uh, so we have Dawn of War 2 and Demigod, two games we've talked an awful lot about. So... In Dawn of War 2, as far as I can figure out, there is fundamentally no catch-up feature at all. I mean, basically, if there you're, is, actually, if you're, there is, Julian. I'm, I'm sure there is, because you always think I'm wrong, and I always am. But, well, but, but to, to your credit, Julian, it's under the hood. Like, it's pretty, it's, it's effectively invisible. Uh, the, so what the Dawn is of War catch-up catch uh, Well, what it is, is uh, if you have fewer units, you get an income boost. Oh, okay. So that's totally under the hood. Is, is yep, that there's, no, there's no indication of it. Okay. So that's but anyway, your like point a, remains, though. Go ahead. I cut you off. Uh, you, you, so, I think you still so, your point remains. So, so there, that's sort of one example. In in Demigod, there's not an explicit catch-up feature. I mean, there may be tweaks like that in there as well, but there's not there's not anything that's particularly obviously great about being the team that's totally on their heels and and you know desperately trying to recover. Um, but one of the interesting things is that travel in Demigod is so arduous. You know, in the terms of the time it takes to get across the map, to go launch an attack on the next objective you're trying to get to, um, that there is that feeling that when you're, if you actually go into defensive mode with your team and you say, okay, what we're really going to do is we're going to try to get a bunch of demigod kills in the next, you know, 90 seconds and really push the m momentum back, you can actually do that. You can turtle play defense for a while, and because even if you're getting killed, your respawn, you know, your time to get back to the front is so much shorter, it feels like it's not as hopeless as it could be. And so territory, so, mm -hmm. I think, sometimes acts as a, as a kind of catch-up feature. Demigod's an interesting case because there is no, I, I don't think, there is any provision in Demigod to prevent extreme snowballing, and Demigod has, can have fairly long, drawn-out matches. Uh, 
demigod is is not at all afraid, and I, you might call this a flaw. I don't know, but it, it's not at all afraid to just force you to lose for an hour. Uh, that, that's well, they certainly, added conceit. Thank God. They finally gave you a button exactly to resign. Uh, also, Julian, I would recommend uh, investing in teleportation scrolls. For yes, I know that. For a mere 250 demigod bucks, you can zap to anywhere on the map you already control. Yeah, although so. the cycle time on those is long enough that, that that's uh, 25 not seconds. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a total cure-all, right? And you're vulnerable right. while you're sitting there casting to get out. But but right. I think that there is that issue where if you're playing a if you're playing a territory game and the map is designed so that defense is actually really viable and your home base is actually really heavily defendable, um, I, and I was trying to think of other games where this is true as well, that 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 in itself is almost the thing that keeps it from becoming just a complete runaway. That the nature of being projected very aggressively means that you're not paying attention to defense. The nature of not being able to project very aggressively means that you can focus all of your efforts on turtling and and, and really beefing up your defenses. And part of why I like Demigod is because it feels like that is a viable strategy. You can get on your heels, you can focus all of your upgrades on defensive stuff. And I have played games where we were able to turn it around, and that's obviously a tremendously great feeling to come back. Yeah, I mean, I... Go ahead, that's, Troy. That's, that's, that's something in Demigod's favor, and one of the great things what Demigod is really an example of is how uh, many of the games where snowballing is, you know, not encouraged are games with their alternate tactics. Right. The problem with many real-time strategy games is that they generally boil down to both sides using the same tactics, which is get your economy uh, maximized and as efficient as possible, as quickly as possible, then gathering your dudes and killing all of all of Troy's villagers. Um, and that's something. Turn-based strategy games often uh, do a little bit better in terms of providing alternate victory conditions. I mean, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about Civ Four in this context, where uh, again, I'm not sure that I can point to a specific mechanic and say, well, that is clearly just a dead stop on the runaway winner, um, because certainly once you're starting to compete for territory and resources and stuff like that directly, um, there, it does it can't have that problem. But because there are alternate paths to victory, and there's a little bit of hidden knowledge, it seems to mitigate it. Yeah, it's not just paths to victory, different types of victory. It's different ways of, of, of coping with an offense. Right. And I think that's one thing where Demigod excels at. And Civ Four. I mean, it's it's your standard quality versus quantity thing. Your advanced units co- take a little bit longer to build. Um, Montezuma is always running over me with this cheap-ass uh, Jaguar warriors because he can mass a million of them with very few resources. <laughs> um, and the AI cheats. But... I think the problem and uh, something with working against snowballing is you don't want to design a game where victory is so uncertain until the very last minute or where there's always a chance to come back that you don't know how well you're doing. Yeah, well, and this this is really a board game problem writ large. I mean, there are a tremendous number of strategy board games now where the the current victory status is completely hidden. And and if you have any knowledge of it, it's essentially based on your ability to remember what happened two hours ago of, as far as who collected what victory point chit when, but now it's, it's concealed. Um, and there are people who love those games and there's people who hate those games. You know, the, the classic example of the, the completely open victory situation, um, 
is Settlers of Catan. And then, you know, because you can just look at the board and you can pretty much know what's going on. And then there are like a few ways that that can get gotcha because there are cards that you can be holding that, that can change it. But with good players, rarely is it not really known what those cards are going to be at the end. It's pretty obvious usually who's in what position. Well, you, yeah, so you, you generally have an idea who, who are the top two are going to be and who's not going to be up there. Right, and so the and the way Sellers of Catan, which could very quickly just become incredibly boring because of the runaway victor problem, um, deals with this is um, socially because there is the mechanic of the robber who can go shut down production for whoever somebody perceives to be the winner, presumably. Um, you you create a social imperative that everybody pig piles on the guy who seems to be in the lead, and that is I find a very compelling way to deal with this problem when you're playing with a more than two player game. When it's obvious that somebody is the runaway winner, like, say, Bruce in our Dominions game, which we have not actually even, I don't think we've even run into each other on the map, but I'm just willing to bet that Bruce is winning already. So we all know that we need to pig pile on him immediately. You just Wait. think you have run into him yet. <laughs> what, what's this? What, what, Julian, are you saying pig piles? Pig pile. Wait, is that some weird regional thing? It's dog pile. Whoever, pigs do that? That's <laughs> pig piling? I've heard both expressions before, but clearly now you think I'm an idiot even more than usual. Well, no, I kind of like it, actually. I might start using that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have, know on a farm. Have you ever seen pigs pile? They pile way more than dogs pile. Ah, I did not know that. Okay, yeah, I'm just a city boy, so I didn't. I, I wasn't but, acquainted with that idiom, but I, I like but, it. But, pigs but, okay. but I love that. I love that mechanic, of, particularly in like a big, meaty, like four or five player game that lasts for a while. Um, right. I mean, I, I was just, I, I had the fabulous pleasure of being at Soren Johnson's board game late night yesterday, and we played a whole bunch of games of Small World, which is a really reductionist risk type game. It's a very simplistic, uh, territory control game, where there is this sort of hidden victory point thing going on. I mean, everybody can see who gets it, but then it becomes hidden after that, so after an hour you can't remember anymore. So there's a, there's a basic understanding that, oh, okay, well, Paul is so far in the lead, we all need to clearly pile on him. What we did over the course of a couple of games was starting to keep track of those moments in the game where we we all made a collective decision to go beat up on one guy to see whether we were right or whether we were being played. And we it was interesting to see that certain players were able to turn the tide against them uh, whether they wanted them wanted, wanted against them or not, meaning like you, you was they were constantly being accused of being so far in the lead that people would pile into them, even though at that point in the game they were actually nowhere near in the lead. And and, and that's I think a social a dynamic too, dynamic. which definitely yeah. applies to certain like, like real time strategy games. You can definitely see that in uh, in multiplayer strategy games as well. But I think that's the best way of dealing with it is to let diplomacy deal with it. Well, but that's also a cop-out, I think. Like, if you really want to address a situation that – if you really want to design around snowballing, you don't have to – I mean, you don't have to let snowballing dictate your game design, I think. Uh, and, and so I, I think yes, that's certainly a viable approach is let the players sort it out. Uh, you know, Civilization Four, Troy mentioned, I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a mechanic there where the AI will react differently to who, whomever is in first place, if I'm not mistaken. So, so that's sort of like an analog to what you're talking about, Julian. Right, uh, that, that is one way to do it. Right, it's trying to sort of program, programmatically put in that that kind of mechanic. But in in a game where, I mean, I, and I, I'm I'm not sure I can come up with a game that that satisfies these requirements. But 
you know, I think we can we can sort of say that a game that is sort of deterministic, like let's say we play ten turns of a game and all we're doing is playing rock, paper, scissors, totally random, no skill involved, therefore there's no runaway winner problem, right? Just except that somebody eventually wins. Um, the problem with a lot of the solutions to runaway victories that I see, certainly in the board game world, is that they a lot of times involve the the addition of chance. Right? I mean, even Settlers of Catan, you have to roll a seven in order to get the robber, which now sort of gives you this this sort of underdog chance to go make something happen. Um, personally, I don't really like the inclusion of chance in my games that much. I like to feel like if I'm losing, it's my fault, not... I got screwed by the dice or I got screwed by the cards. So you're, you're making me think, cause this is similar to a board game. I know I've told you guys about this and you probably just poo pooed it and maybe rightly so. It's a weird little game. There's a game for the Nintendo Wii called, uh, Dork Upon Kingdoms, uh, which is basically a board game married to a JRPG. And you, uh, it's like, uh, it's even a bit like, uh, oh, what's that? Oh, for Pete's sake. I'm sorry? Cold Sep Saga is the one that I think of as being the JRPG meets the board game. Yeah, because Cold Sep Saga has the whole CCG thing. This is very much, oh, it's like Talisman. That's what I'm trying to think of. Oh, it's okay. very much like okay. a more elaborate version of Talisman where you've got a character, you spin a spinner, and then you move a certain number of sp- spaces and you interact with the space, either a battle or you get a free item or something like that. So one of the things they do in Dork Upon Kingdoms, which I love, and I don't even think this is documented. A friend of mine, we he kept losing and he finally went online and realized that hey, there's a there's a there's a mechanic to prevent snowballing in this game, and he was going to try to exploit it. So we ended up playing one night, and he was basically throwing the game so that he could show off this thing called a darkling. And in Dork Upon Kingdom, as you're playing, it's really called you're, Dork Upon Kingdom. Like actually, it's D-O-R-K. Dork Upon Kingdom, uh, but it's, it is Dork Upon Kingdom. Uh, that's dork. but uh, it's incredibly dorky, so I think that fits. Uh, so if you're in last place for a certain number of turns, you get a little purple bat uh, that floats over your head. And what this purple bat means is partly it also it means that you suck because you've been losing for a long time. But it also means that you can become the darkling. So if you basically stop trying to win the game the way everybody else is trying to win, if you stop trying to play normally, you can go to a little space on a remote corner of the board. And you can be appointed, if you've got this bat, the Darkling. And all the Darkling does, he can't really help himself, but he can tear down everyone else. He's incredibly <laughs> powerful. He has unique abilities. The game is about controlling towns and then building them up so they're worth more and more victory points. He can just walk, waltz into any town and take it over from a player and turn it over to a neutral monster so the town has to be reconquered. Uh, he's like a, he's powerful enough to be a one-hit, one-kill against pretty much any other character in combat. So if you're losing, you can become the Darkling for a term of something like two weeks and basically be a spoiler, tear down the winners. Um, so you talking about board games, Julian, made me think of uh, the Darkling and Dork Upon Kingdoms. Well, one comment, I mean, we talk about Paradox uh, Studios a lot, and I think they do a pretty decent job, or at least have tried, uh, in the Europa Universalis games, of stopping the snowballing effect by making large empires very rich, but also very hard to manage. And if you're losing to a, if I'm facing a very large empire, I try to get it in a very long war. Why? Because it's generally going to have lots of different religions, which raises its revolt, chance of revolt, lots of different cultures, which raises its chance of revolt. And once you get the war exhaustion up over a certain point, that bonus kicks in. 
and you can bring an empire down uh, if it has overstretched itself and has overcommitted itself instead of just the wealth accumulating and being more and more powerful. Uh, the Total War games have never really been able to do this very well. Uh, certainly not as well as um, Paradox has. I've been able, being able to put limits on expansion to say, okay, there are benefits to it, but there's a cost you have to pay. And so the challenge that, is the opponent is to recognize that you now have access to a catch-up feature, which is, aha, now a war of attrition actually has some value for me. Right. Uh, you have to trick is to you know manage your own revolt risk. Um, right. I mean, this doesn't stop people. If you go in the forums, you'll read all of these ridiculous, crazy stories where people take, you know, one province kingdoms in the Balkans and conquer the world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Happens all the time uh, in the real world. Yeah, you know, you have Serbia defeating the Aztecs, and it's just madness. Um, you know, but once you know how the system works, you can really game it because it really is. Because Paradox's virtue is the transparency of its calculations, uh, if you really grok what's going on in the calculations, you can game those quite easily. And that's uh, actually a more elaborate – I like that, Troy, because it's a more elaborate and sort of game world-related version of the simple maintenance fee. You know, right. in an RTS where the more right. units you have, you have to pay a maintenance fee. Uh, and, and I like that how that ties into the sort of the historical fiction. Uh, that's that's one problem, though, with trying to prevent snowballing, is how do you prevent snowballing without punishing someone for right. winning? Uh, you know, but, but on the other hand, how do you keep a game competitive? So that's, that's a I, tough I point, is you don't want to punish the winner. Yeah, I mean, punishing the winner is fine as long as this is transparent, right? I mean, like, like if it's completely hidden that being lead costs you X a turn or something like that, then the skilled player can't work around it. But if it's totally obvious what the disadvantage is, like like the resource fee or the you know the the maintenance fee, um, upkeep is the classic example of that where you know exactly like what you have to deal with. I mean, I'm thinking like Sins of a Solar Empire, your upkeep goes up, you have to start getting bigger capital ships, you know, you start having these sort of real encumbrances to just getting big. But it's really really obvious. I mean, you run into it; it reminds you of it every time you try to upgrade again. Um, so. So because it's so obvious, the skilled player can then work around that and say, okay, well, now I need to be efficient. I need to not just get big, but I need to be efficient as well. And so I think as long as that's obvious, I don't necessarily even see that as a runaway winner solution. I think it's more – I think of it as more of a – I guess it is. It's sort of a game compression solution. It keeps the strategic space smaller, which makes it more interesting. And it's not necessarily punishing the winner because he's also being rewarded by having – more resources to play with, a bigger army. Uh, so it's sort of it's counteracting his advantage, I, I suppose. Uh, and you're right, Julian, the transparency. So I'm, I'm biting my tongue because I, I, and you guys might know this, but I think there's one game that solved this that nobody but me has played, and I hate that this game didn't do better. But I'm going to hold off. So pretty much everything you guys no, are saying, I'm like, oh, that game it's so catty. How well, 12 years old off? are you? Well, yeah, well, well, you know, why, why don't you tell us about End of War? Because the moment I start talking about End War, we can just end the podcast with saying all of this stuff has been solved. Go play End War. Good night, everyone. Well, why don't you explain how End War has? Why don't you explain how End so War, End War is so transparent? So End War, in a way, I love the way End War balances punishing the winner and the transparency Julian is talking about. So in End War, what you're fighting over. First of all, the resource collection in War is uniform. The moment the game starts up, we're all getting an occasional, uh, I forget what they're called, 
space bucks or whatever, we're all getting an occasional space buck to spend at the same rate. So there's there's no disparity at income rates. We're all you, you know we're all proceeding apace. Uh, and the way you gain an advantage is you capture these sites on the map that are called uplinks. And each time you get an uplink that you capture one, you get an extra space buck above and beyond whatever everybody's income rate is. Now, what happens is there is, of course, a finite number of these uplinks. And I think on all the maps, I could be wrong about this, but I think on all the maps, it's an odd number. So what will happen is that, like me and Troy, you know, we're playing. There's seven uplinks on the map. I capture one. You capture one. I get my second. You get your second. I get my third. You get your third. Now, between us, Troy, there's that last uplink. Who is going to get the odd-numbered uplink and therefore pull ahead? Now, the moment that happens, somebody is sort of a winner because that's, that's partly how you win the game, too, is you control more uplinks than your opponent, and it starts a timer. But the moment that last uplink is, is claimed, two things happen. The first thing that happens is the guy who didn't claim the uplink, the guy who's the loser, he can immediately take one of the uplinks out of the equation. It's called crashing. Fiction is that he can hack into it, and he can basically change the shape of the map. Suddenly, he gets control over how the, the map is played, you know, which point is taken out of the equation. Doesn't that he seem also, cheap in context? Like, when you're doing it, doesn't it seem cheap, or is it just so obvious that you know that's going to happen? I mean, well, is there, don't people lobby to not be the last dude? Well, exactly. I think that's a part of the gameplay is am I going to go for the, the benefit of that last uplink or am I going to let the other guy get it? And, oh, is he letting me get it or am I just here in advance of him? Uh, so because it's so transparent, Julian, because you know the moment that you get that last uplink, you know the other guy's going to get to shut one of them down. Now, he's not going to shut down the advantage in income that you got. Uh, he can mess with some of your goals. Well, yeah, because it's so transparent, Julian, I don't think it's cheap. Um, but now here's, here's the bigger issue. The moment somebody gets that last uplink, he then puts the loser. If I get the, 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 the fourth uplink between me and Troy, Troy then is in the catbird seat in terms of when and whether to use super weapons. Uh, one of the features in End War are weapons of mass destruction. You, you can't, you don't research them, you can't buy them or anything like that. It's just the moment somebody's losing, he then, at any point, can drop this huge weapon of mass destruction anywhere on the map. He can wait until he finds his opponent's army. He can drop it on one of the uplinks. Uh, but the moment he does that, the opponent can then use his weapon of mass destruction. And then that resets a timer where the other guy gets his. So the guy who is losing is then in the catbird seat of when and whether to roll out the big guns. Uh, so you're right, Julian. It, it's once you get to a certain level of sort of knowing how the game plays, it's about, well, am I going to get this last uplink or am I going to let him get it? Uh, and because the resources advance at pretty much the same rate, there's no snowballing. Uh, you know, you tend to end a game with, you know, you don't have these imbalances of the other guy just had a bunch of infantry and overran you. Uh, right. So there we go. I think we're done with the podcast. All right. Next week... <laughs> well, I was actually going to say, I, I was going to say there's, there's an example, there's one example here, and I like going back to really simple principles of, of a solution to this that I would love to see more of, which is the sort of the mid-game alternate victory path. And the example I'll use is playing the card game Hearts, where if you're really behind, 
you can choose to, instead of playing the positive score game, to play the negative score game, to go to shoot the moon and try to get all of the hearts instead of getting none of them. And I love, I, I, I'm not a big fan of trick taking card games in general and I'm terrible at them and I never win at hearts or anything like that. But I love that idea that in hearts you can be a couple hands, you know, a couple of rounds in, uh, and, and decide to just completely change your strategy and actually have a reasonable shot at it if you can sort of both play the game well and play the social game well so that people don't shut you down. Um, and, and I would love to see more video games, particularly RTSs, that really gave you an option to shift gears maybe a third of the way in and have a shot at it. Because part of the problem with games, even like the Civ series, where you've got real viable multiple paths to victory, uh, is that if you wait until a third or a half of the way through the game to decide to go for a, a, a wonder victory, you're, you're not going to get it. I mean, you kind of have to go in saying, this is my strategy pretty quickly there are uh julian like a lot of because rts's tend to work in the relatively limited framework of capturing and holding territory and the strategies tend to be rushing booming or turtling there there are rts's that have catered uh different that have offered different victory conditions to each of those different strategies for instance uh rushing of course you just wipe out your opponent booming there are plenty of video games or rts's that give you uh, sort of an economic victory condition. Like, I'm thinking of the wonders in Age of Mythology. If you invest this money, if you boom and then get a lot of resources, you can invest them all in building a monument, and if you right. hold that, you've won the game. Uh, and then for turtling, there are some RTSs, and what am I... I don't know what I'm thinking of, but there's some where you can gather, like, little doodads on the map. Um, I know there are relics in Age of Mythology. I don't think they're victory conditions, but where if you find enough of these little doodads on the map, if you bring them back and you capture them and hold them for a long enough time, oh, the, the, you the, can start a victory the, timer. The, the first Age of Empires had that. Oh, so is that – and they were relics, weren't they? Yep. And priests had to pick well, them up. And, 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 the, and Galsiv too, if I recall. I mean there's, there's sort of the research Oh, path, yes. Right, right? exactly. I mean, that's the one I was really thinking of. I meant I said Civ, but I really meant the, the sort of Gal Civ model of just research your way to victory. Right? It doesn't really matter what else you do as long as you can keep your economy supporting research and not get killed. You can do that, but but you really can't start down the path of doing a research victory halfway through the game. At least I, maybe you can, but I can't. I, I, I wouldn't be able to figure out how to recover right. from a failed military buildup and then shift my gears entirely over to research because I'd be so far behind on the research curve already. Um, but, but, I, but I love that about Hearts, and there are a few board games that manage to pull that off. Puerto Rico, you can kind of win mid-game if you change right. your theory, change your theory. Um, you know, there's some other games like that. And I would love more games like that because I'm this, I'm just not very smart and I'm not very fast. That's but, true. But I learn if thank you for agreeing with me. Uh, but I learn. But You're I learn right. I'm sort of like I'm sort of like a sad dog. If you beat me enough, I will learn not to go to that corner of the house. And so I like to be in situations where I can realize I'm screwed and have a chance of coming back. Uh, I think of Star Chamber too. Like it's uh, and that's sort of when you have these different track, these different victory tracks, kind of. Uh, one of the tricks is making sure they all interrelate, too. Uh, right. And thinking of Star Chamber had military, cultural, and political victories, and they were all really tied together very well. Star Chamber is that sort of obscure uh, strategy game slash CCG that we talked about many, many podcasts ago Right. Uh, that also does that very well. 
But again, I don't think, like you were saying, Julian, I don't think you can really switch mid-game. Like, if you're going down one track and you find you're losing and the the other guy is sort of snowballing a victory against you, it's probably hard to shift gears. Yeah. You just wait. You just accelerate to the end. Yeah. Uh, this is also one of the reasons I never took to the Heroes of Might and Magic games. Uh, they all seemed about, you know, that whole killer stack strategy. Right. Is I just build up, you know, I, I snowball this, this massive army uh, and then roll over everything, and it seems like so much of the game is just mopping up against the, the poor AI. Because uh, in a way, it's no fun to... Uh, well, maybe it is. I was going to say it's no fun to be on the winning end of one of these snowballing games. Because but I the, think it of, depends. It does depend, yeah. yeah. I, I think but Heroes I, of Might and Magic, I never really liked, because, you know, I, I don't... You know, once I've sort of won the game, then there's just the, the sort of formality of then rolling over everyone. Uh well, but is it a formality or is it a different kind of skill? I mean, I'm 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 going to verge dangerously off the edge of the topic for a second, but um, but my my recent re-addiction has been I've gotten totally hooked back into playing Magic: The Gathering, and and there are fundamentally I think three kinds of Magic players. There are Magic players who are just sort of playing the game, and they every once in a while they'll open some cards and they'll do, build the best deck they can, and they're pretty casual, um, and and they always wish they had more money to go buy more cards, but they're not like seriously hooked and saying, I'm going to go spend $500 to build this killer deck. I've never been that kind of Magic player. God, I would so hope not. The, the other two kinds of Magic players are those that play exclusively draft events where, you know, we all <clears throat> buy a couple of packs, we all pass the cards around, <clears throat> and that's, <clears throat> that's you know, a, extraordinarily strategic, extraordinarily sort of bluffing and almost bridge-like game. Um, where you have to have a pretty sound understanding of the mechanics of the game, obviously, and you need to really understand the pool of, of assets you have at your disposal. Um, but it, it becomes as much about sort of forcing people to take cards and the drafting processes. And then when you get to actually playing the game, it's actually somewhat mechanical. You either did a good job drafting, in which case you'll just roll over everybody, uh, or you did a crappy job drafting, in which case you might as well just concede because you know you're going to lose in the beginning. And then the last kind of player, which is the very sad kind of player that I am, is one that really enjoys the fact that there are these maniacs out there that spend all of their time creating optimal strategies. And I would put these in the same categories as people who post, you know, the, the, you know, first 37 build order strategy for StarCraft, right? Oh, well, you need to build, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, this giant list of build this in this exact order. Uh, and and then you're set up for this perfect mid-game play. You know, there 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 are lunatics out there that have these things mapped out on spreadsheets, and and I don't do this with StarCraft, but I know pl- people who do who really enjoy that process of sort of sussing out this optimal sort of professionally developed strategy and then sort of piloting it and seeing how you know what it's like to play that optimized strategy. And in Magic, I love doing that. I love taking these decks that that total lunatics have spent all their time tweaking and figuring out how to break all the edges of the game and then piloting that and seeing whether or not I even have the the capability to pilot what should be a runaway victory deck uh, to completion. And so when you say, you know, is there really even any fun in just sort of mechanically piloting a runaway victory, I think, yes, there really can be um, because there's a certain thrill in knowing that you're doing it right, even though if you're not necessarily the author of your own success. Now, Julian, weren't you, though, saying that you don't like the element of chance 
you know, and I may be misquoting you, but it occurred to me when you were talking that I think a lot of what makes magic work in terms of this snowballing is there is an element of chance in that you can build a great deck, but you don't know what card is going to come up. And that in itself is a great balancing act in magic, in, in any good CCG, is that you can be losing, but you hang in there waiting for maybe that last card to come through or something that's going to trump sure, although, whatever although, winning strategy your opponent is doing. And I think that is part, it's not a die roll, so maybe that's partly what you're talking about. Um, but well, there is no, that element I, I, I do think card games, I think card play is unique in, in, a, in a mechanic because that idea of drawing down a deck where the distribution is changing with every single card that comes out. And, okay, so I right. pulled six lands. I know that my distribution for the rest of my deck is really good because I don't have those six lands in it, right? And, and it's also doing what... it's something that you built, too. It's not like a die roll where it can be any one of six things. Right. You no, know, you're com- responsible for the distribution of that deck. You put it together. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and this is part of why, to, to risk confusing terminology, Dominion, not Dominions, Dominion, the card game is so great, is because it pulls a lot of this in where you build your deck as you play and it does have that somewhat random component where you're you know constantly reshuffling your deck and drawing another five cards off of it but it was all yours to start with and and so i'm not i'm not completely aggressively against all randomness uh i don't want every game to be chess uh you know chess is great i love games that aren't random playing chess and go i'm not particularly great at those games either um and i think they really have their place but uh, but i do like having some randomness i don't like games where it feels completely random like aha i rolled the i win like playing talisman for instance which is almost an entirely <laughs> random game and you can play you know i'm sure that my hamster could play a game of talisman to completion and we could just point him at the right spaces um so so but magic has that interesting component of you can play the game where you're sort of piloting decks that should be runaway winners in certain situations and i still find that fun and i actually find even losing to those decks when I'm just playing some random piece of crap that I put together, also entertaining because how the system works is almost as entertaining as the fact that I'm the one that won it. Magic also has going for it one of the first things we talked about, namely that the the matches are short enough that it's okay to sort of be getting your butt kicked for the duration of the match because you can turn around and play again. Well, yeah, especially especially online where you know you can you can concede out of a match at the click of a button, and an entire match if it lasted a whole thirty minutes would be epic. You know, right? Do you really have a hamster? I do have a hamster. His name is Oreo. He's black with a little white stripe down the middle. Okay. And do you really play uh, Go? Have you played Go in the last month? I played Go in the last twenty four hours. I played it on my iPhone. Oh, I don't think that counts. Okay. You, you, you were doing an iPhone. Thing. I have yeah. not played Go on an actual physical <laughs> board with stones in probably five years. I yeah, I don't think anyone actually plays played, the analog version. Of AI. Okay. The analog version, no, I haven't played in ages. <laughs> but I haven't played a game of chess, like the actual chess pieces, in a very long time either. I don't think you can still get chess. Does that still, does they, do they still have that anymore? <laughs> I, 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 think ch- I think chess is banned in Australia now. It might be for the violence. I'm hoping it comes out on Steam one day, or good old games. That one of those guys should get chess one day. That would be Archon, cool to get some of those retro games. Ban chess and play Archon instead. <laughs> okay, well, uh, so, go ahead. I, I, you, you guys really, I, I do, we, we should do like a whole podcast on End War because it, we could just head off at the pass so many of these kind of subjects. If we you all played just, End War, are you totally on the take? Do they send you a check every week? Did, did they tell you about that? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I have not played it yet. I will admit to have not played it. You know, it's, it's, it. I, I'm kind of joking. I mean, End War is an awesome design, but I can completely understand. It, it's a little bloodless, and it doesn't really look super good, and it doesn't, as I've said before, it doesn't satisfy what a lot of people are looking for when they want to play a real-time strategy game. End War is a, a weird little beast, and I I almost if, admire it. If I was going to play than, it, what platform should I play it on? Uh, well, I, I was going to say I almost admire it more than I actually like it. But if you're going to play it, I, I would recommend playing it on the 360 because yeah. it does a great job with the little voice activation stuff. You don't need any of that stuff on a PC, um, the voice activation Uh so it, it, you know, that, that at least even if you don't really dig the gameplay, the novelty of how well the voice stuff works is is great on the 360. Uh, I will, I will, I will put it in my queue and I will give it a shot. As an intellectual uh, exercise, I, I think anybody who cares about strategy games really needs to look at, at End War. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think Bloodless was a good was a good way to describe it. Didn't have enough heart for me, but it's an exercise in design. Uh, it really did a lot of interesting things. And if you take game design seriously. Uh, especially strategy RTS design and war has a lot going for it. And I wonder so, too, like, what is it? Like, are those guys? It, it's their. It's the Shanghai studio Ubisoft. Right. Like, I don't know if it didn't do well. Like, are we never going to see anything like that again? Is the lesson learned there? Uh, you know, just make more RTS clones. Uh, like, I I don't know what the fallout of End War is. I would love to talk to some of those guys. Um, we should try to find them. I wonder if well, they would see. speak to us. Dip, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not even going to say it. It's uh, He's a British fella, and it's a French-sounding last name like De Platter. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm sure I've just made it sound really pedestrian. It probably has some cool French twist on it. Uh, but, I, yeah, I would love to talk to him and sort of find out, hey, what happened with Envor? Uh, so, well, this De Platter, is, De Platter. This is the summer of guests, so why not? Guests are good. People like guests. They're way more important than we are. So we could actually, run down. We could actually kick, we could kick Bruce off the podcast and have him back as a special guest, and our listenership would double. <laughs> I'm sure Bruce could tell us all sorts of snowballing stories about like hardcore war games with hexes and chits. Oh yeah, I'm sure all kinds of stuff. Whenever he and H.G. Wells were pushing tin soldiers around on the floor. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, but, but well, I mean, in 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 the old hex-based war game. <sighs> Uh, well, was that that aside? Because I even started. No, no, that was no, that was just me sighing. That was just me sighing. Was, Julian, that was Troy pining for the days of H.G. Wells. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I want my time machine. Damn it. <laughs> okay, Go ahead. So just going over my notes because I know you guys don't take notes. You guys don't do homework like I do. Uh, I have one thing that I missed. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to... Yeah, I'll bring this up. Well, Julian was saying something before I sighed. We should let him finish oh, his thought. sorry. Go ahead, Julian. I was just going to say that very few old-school hex-based war games, and I'll, I'll refer back to Advanced Squad Leader as the the winner in the race to build the perfect hex-based war game. Um, you know, very few of them have anything like resource collection, which I think is a big component of a lot of runaway victories. Right. Uh, where, because the, you're, you're generally starting with a known set of units and you're going to know what your reinforcement queue looks like coming in. And so the runaway victory problem is quite often the fact that if you have a good first two or three turns, 
you may just be unstoppable because you already you know right ahead. And I played lots of ASL games that are conceded after the first two hours because people are like, well, there's just no chance. I know what my cue is. I know how much you've won before. You've got three tanks rolling up the street, and I've got a 14-year-old with a hand grenade. I'm done. It's like chess. You know, if you uh, like, I suck at chess, but I I know if I start losing a lot of units, or I guess they're called pieces in chess, uh, and the other guy has a, a bunch more much more material than me, personnel, whatever you want them to be. Uh, yeah, like in chess, you lose a certain number. I don't know. Do people concede in chess, or do you yeah, just they, keep they, playing they, to the bloody end until they, you get checkmated? Most games end either draws or resignation. Okay. Yeah. 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 And 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 depending, see, part of the part of the trick to playing chess as a bad chess player is to play it with a clock, right? Because then at least it's over fast. So playing endless games of chess down in the parlor with <laughs> Uncle Paul. It's totally boring, but playing five-minute speed chess with guys in Washington Square Park for $5 is totally entertaining. Make it like a real-time strategy game. There you go. Exactly. Or reflexes count. Exactly, because <laughs> even if you suck, you might be able to hang on until you clock them. For $5, you have to pay people to play games with you? That's sad. You have to, but it makes it entertaining. <laughs> yeah, Julian walks up, and everybody's running off, and he waves a $5 bell. Come on, guys. <laughs> you guys have never played chess in a city park, have you? <laughs> Well, we have PCs here that get newer games. Why would we do that? <laughs> because playing chess in a beautiful city park anywhere in the world, whether it's Sydney or Hong Kong or San Francisco or New York, is an unbelievable experience, especially when you play against like old homeless guys that will kick your ass every single time. That's I do actually. That does sound very cool, Julian. I mean, I, I, I would I don't be totally know where on board down- that vast Southern California wasteland people do it, but I guarantee you there is a park somewhere full of businessmen in suits and old homeless guys betting $5. You know, I think a lot of that, I don't know about chess, but I've certainly seen uh, a lot of backgammon, old men playing backgammon in parks. I see some of that. Uh, but part of it, too, is I chess really hurts my head. I mean, chess is pure strategy. I need, like, graphics or backstory or some kind of goofy art. You love Dwarf Fortress, then, didn't you? Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I, I wanted to mention one, one thing that we overlooked that I felt had a novel uh, approach to preventing snowballing. Uh, it's kind of in the in the same vein as a maintenance fee. Do you guys remember what uh, Rise of Nations did to sort of penalize the the winner? Oh, and uh, units cost the more of a certain unit you build, yeah, you, the more yeah, the next cost, cost. Yeah, like your twentieth exactly. dude, your twentieth dude on horse costs more than your second dude on horse. Well, not only that, your third unit on horse costs more than your second unit on horse, and your fourth costs more than your third. Yeah, Each I time actually, I always found that that sort of forced the price. strange diversification requirement that I didn't quite get. Well, that was one of that was a side effect of it, and I, you know, Brian Reynolds being as ingenious as he is, I doubt it was unconscious, but uh, absolutely. So, as you built an army, if you, you know, it got increasingly expensive, but it also really didn't necessarily force you because you may not have all the you had to decide which units to to buy with which resources you know are you going to spend your food on javelin throwers or on the knights uh you know it it, it definitely pushed you to making various kinds of units in, in your army and then each one got more expensive uh so i i that's just another example too if we just had end war and rise of nations to talk about Every strategy gaming problem is solved between those two games, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, let me let me let me bring up a, a couple of corollary problems to the runaway winner problem. So, okay. 
one of which I'll call the 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 Julian problem, which is the I forgot to do something on my turn problem. And so the example I'll give is in Dominion, Dominion which we guys have been playing. If you just simply like forget to go recruit in a in a in a colony world, whatever the hell it's called, city place where you could be recruiting units, you're pretty much just out of luck. Those resources just don't get used because everything in Dominion is bought by either resources, the sort of vague term for piles of wood, and gold. And the gold accumulates, but the resources you get once per turn. And so there's no there's no stockpiling. So like even if you're totally inept and you just hit and next turn, next turn, next turn, you don't even stockpile your resources. Uh which which is I think problematic in games that get pretty complex pretty quickly because the chances are that at some point in your playing games and being harassed by Troy to turn in your next turn, uh, you're going to forget that, oh, I could have recruited one chariot down in that corner of the world that I happen to have a place. Well, wait, you're not going to lose your gold, though. You're still going to have the gold to recruit him next turn. Right, but 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 in Dominion, many units are like, you know, one gold and 15 resources or oh, 15 the resources, I see. Right, right. resources, right? So, but, but there's this wasting resource that if you fail to use it every turn, it's just plain gone. Well, and, but I think early on, you're not going to be able to afford, you're not going to have enough gold to take full advantage of all those resources. I mean, that's sort of two different kinds of, and I mean resources in the generic sense. There's gold and there's resources. Resources are fixed per turn. Gold goes up. But you can't early on in the game, I don't think, I don't think there's any way you can you could spend enough gold to use all your resources. I get what you're saying though, but uh, yeah, I think as far as like, worrying I, I, about I, 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 totally game, I, think I run out of resources before I run out of gold every single turn. Oh yeah, there's always more gold than resources. Every single turn, I always almost have to it, well. A lot depends on the lay of the province. I mean, some provinces will have uh, a shortage of one instead of the other. Maybe I'm just buying too many cheap little dudes. Monkey, you know what it is? Oh, I know what it is. I totally know why I'm saying this. Because I'm out there buying my little magic researcher dudes, which costs like 400 gold and three resources. Right, yeah. So that's why, okay. So that, right. that yeah, to just further highlight how I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, you're Well, no, you I mean, I'm, this totally is like my, this. this game is like my fifth game of Dominion ever. Or Dominions, sorry, ever. Um, and so, who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm just figuring out the optimal pathway to losing. Um, well, actually, so I guess my, that shows. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Julian. In my pathway to loss, I, I find that that I'm, I'm I'm sort of frenetically paranoid that I'm missing some little province I could be, re, you know, using resources buying some crap unit somewhere. Right. Um, and 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 this is actually this is a problem in the Civ games too, where if you sort of just sort of ignore some province you have over in a corner that you conquered four turns again that you could be building a building in that queue just sits empty right and that's just completely squandered and that's fine i mean being a bad player doesn't necessarily need to be rewarded um but it's not like you're accumulating building points or anything like that you're just you're wasting time right speaking of our dominions game we probably have a bit of an update how are those giants working for you tom <laughs> Yeah, I haven't. My Vikings haven't discovered them yet. Yeah. So what Troy's talking about is I accidentally chose Vikings instead of Giants. Who are the giant dudes who I was thinking of? Do you know? I don't oh. know. Anyway, so I'm playing the Vikings and they don't get the Giants I thought they got. And I so I've just tipped my hand to the fact that I'm spending all my gold early on on magic resources. So I have plenty of uh, on magic dudes. So I have plenty of the resource left, Julian. So if you need any, just come over to my uh, kingdom. 
there's plenty of them sort of just laying around fallow in the fields wherever you get so resources. I'm sure I'll get there eventually. At the moment, all I'm doing is just sitting there going, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, waiting for Bruce to just come over and, like, you know, anally violate me any minute. God. I don't even know where he is, but I know it's coming. <laughs> so we each start in one of the four corners, though, right? Like, that's yeah. that's part of one of the, the ways the map works. Yeah. This map so the, the, we all started in the same corner from our perspective. What do you mean? Like, do we all start in the lower left or the upper left? And the map just rotates. Well, the map doesn't. Well, where did you start, Julian? Uh, <laughs> in the middle. That's where I started. <laughs> I really thought you were going to answer that. Actually, I'll say where I'm starting if you guys say where you're starting. Is that cheating? Because Bruce isn't here. Well, isn't we all. Listen. It's not like he's going to listen. Well, <laughs> if we all say where we are, then we'll know where he is. Exactly. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking. Exactly. Then, then we just gang up on him. <laughs> Which is totally the plan anyway, so I say we go for it. I'm in the upper left-hand corner. I'm, I'm in the bottom right. I'm in one of the other ones. Aha! <laughs> you All right, so Julian, you and me again. Well, so Julian, what that means, if you're in the upper That's left and I'm in the lower right, you and I, as long as we don't bang heads in the middle, we're not going to be fighting each other, it seems. We should just work our edge wars, and we'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, so, okay. So, Troy, you don't want in on this uh, this sort of under-the-table deal, this, this Molotov ribbon-trop pact thing? No, I'm opposed to Molotov Ribbentrop's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, principle. But but the funny thing is, is like we've talked so much about this. We're what we're on our fourth turn, which means we're all just sitting there going, recruit research, recruit research. So it's not like we've actually done very much yet. Well, you know what? So again, I, I think I'm I doing it wrong. Territory. Oh, that's great. Well, okay, I'm doing it wrong because I've already gotten my general killed. I mean, you start the game with your god and your main general who you're supposed right. to turn into your prophet who if helps you, you spread your right. dominion, uh, the eponymous dominion. Uh, I, I immediately charged out and was like grabbing territories, and in the very first turn, I got my general killed. So I don't have a prophet. And as a matter of fact, I don't recall getting announcements from a couple of you guys about prophets being designated. Julian, have you... I haven't even designated one yet, because I'm just... All I'm doing is researching, scouting, and building units. I have okay. just designated my prophet. I waited for him to win a battle before I made him a prophet. His first battle ended with a bunch of monkeys dead under him, but he survived. Uh-huh. Now I do have a province, uh, a second province, so... So no one else tried to grab the mercenaries, is that correct? Because I no. thought another early thing you want to do, and here's another reason I'm out of gold, is I immediately bid on the mercenaries and was using them to grab uh, provinces. I've never, uh, you, I haven't even, I've never clicked on that button, much less do I know what they do. I went to hire mercenaries, but they were all gone. Yeah, because they were working for me. <laughs> uh, and that's why, that's another reason that I have no gold and plenty of resources. So, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm doing it wrong. I could be totally... Um, We're probably all doing it wrong, and Bruce is going to come on here like, next week and tell us... Tell us where you are. No, because then you'll all just come and kill me. I know how why, you guys... Are we gonna, we're not going to kill you, Troy. We're not worried about you. You don't know how to play any better than we do. I know. Why would we worry about you? <laughs> but no, that, I guess yeah. that's honorable of you not to, not to let Julian or I know whether Bruce is to our left or right. But wait a minute. That means now you know where Bruce is. You're the only one. Oh! You just cheated. Oh my God, Troy. Well, I first of all, genius. first of all, well played, well played. Second of all, you jerk. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't agree to this pact of Satan. <laughs> genius, Troy, pure genius. Oh, I've lost yeah, the game, and we haven't even submitted turn four. Oh, you sneaky well, Canadian! Some of us have submitted turn four. 
All I, right. By the uh, way, anything else to absolutely. say on our topic or on the Dominions game, guys? I guess so. I guess we did. We've we've gone over and we yeah. So every week, let's talk a little bit about our Dominions game. I'm yep, happy to disclose things like that. My general got killed. Yeah. Uh, I might be playing it a little closer to the vest when you know when I'm attacking you, Troy. Now that you've revealed how sneaky you are, I'm not going to say isn't going to happen. It might That's happen. Fine. All part of uh, the game, man. Part of the game. I don't have anything interesting to report because all I've done is just turtle at the moment. So you really don't have a single province yet, Julian. Turn no. forward, you haven't conquered any place yet. Okay. No, because, uh, I mean, again, I'll disclose this. Like, all of, the, all of the territories around me have, like, 80 or 90 dudes in them. Ah. Yeah, but they have crappy generals. They're, like, you know... Probably, they're, they're, but they're, I've they're, got they're all Canadian. So I research. So I went and I bought a bunch of chariots, and I bought a bunch of guys to run around behind the chariots with bows. And uh, and this turn, they will be venturing forth to do battle. Ah, good. You'll have to let us know how that goes. That sounds exciting. I am sure it'll just be a, a riveting, riveting encounter. So I found uh, a little magical marsh that gives me nature gems every turn. I uh, also found a province, and I was a little worried about this. Uh, with elephants in it. So I found myself sort of charging blindly into battle against elephants, which is a little scary. How'd that guys, go? Uh, I actually won because my pretender was there. I mean, it came down to him. Pretty much everyone but him died in the battle. I don't know if I'm playing recklessly by throwing my pretender into battle like that, but uh, it's helping me get early provinces. So, so now I have, if I care to spend all the gold on them, uh, I have elephants. Oh, you get to use them, right. Yeah, they're mine. Awesome. All right, next week we have a special guest, Soren Johnson from Electronic Arts, will be joining us to talk about uh, mods, modding, a topic of his choice, something he's uh, deeply interested in. Uh, we look forward to having him, and we'll also have another update on our Dominions game, try to get a few more turns in before next week. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, hey, everyone. Guys.